Good morning. Happy March to all of you. Great to see all of you here in the room this morning. Also, those of you continuing to watch us online. We are in a series in, as that video um, introduced again, in the book of Genesis, the life of Jacob, kind of in the middle of that series. And last week, if you were here, let me kind of set the stage. We looked at one of the great encounters. Jacob has two of them with God. He's on his way out of the promised land, kind of on the run. Very, very famous story. Jacob meets God, his first meeting with, with God at Bethel. Right, It's named Bethel, the house of God, where he has this great vision. He's meeting Jacob on the way out. Next week, it's only a week away, but it will represent a long many years, 20, in the Jacob story. He'll have his second meeting with God when he's coming back to the promised land, uh, when he wrestles with God in that famous story. In between the first meeting last week and uh, where we'll be next week, Jacob has this long sojourn outside of the promised land. As I say, it goes on almost 20 years. Where he gets married, we'll see this in a minute, and he has children. And these are important things because when getting married and having children are central to the promise given to Abraham, then given to Isaac, then given to him. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. So he's on his way out of the promised land, but he'll have children and he will have Um, two wives as it turns out but before he can bring the promised children back to the promised land when it's a big family when he makes his way back he's got some growing up to do he has to face things in his character that he's been running from his whole life and that's what we want to look at this morning in a message titled the gospel according to jacob the gospel according to jacob you have a copy of the bible genesis chapter 29 We'll read verses 16 through 28. Follow along as I read. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel, and he said, I'll work for you seven years and return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, He took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpha to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you seven years for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish the daughter's bridal week, and then then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. The gospel according to Jacob. First thing that we learn in this Story and this season in Jacob's life in between the first and second encounter is God meets you where you are sometimes to take you and me where you don't want to go. God meets you where you are 
so that he can take you sometimes where you don't want to go. Think about the last two weeks, or at least the last sermon in this series. Jacob, God meets Jacob for the very first time as far as we know. Of course, he's Isaac's son and Abraham's grandson, but he's, you know, remember, there's no church, there's no, there's no Old Testament. There's, this is all very, very early, the beginnings of the faith family. And Jacob, although he has this heritage, he doesn't really know God. Remember, if you remember when he had this great vision, he said, the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. He has this great meeting with God. But what's so surprising about the Bethel story, or one of the things that's so surprising about the Bethel story, is that when he, he had deceived his brother, he had deceived his father so much so, he'd broken relationships with them, that he had to leave the very promised land. He's on the run for his life. He's kind of a fugitive. You might even say a criminal of a kind. But when God meets him at Bethel, this is what's so beautiful about the story last week. It's all grace. No mention of his crimes, no mention of his deception, no judgment at all. In fact, it's the opposite of judgment. God says, listen, I'm going to give everything I said I was going to give to your father and your grandfather. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to give you more than that. I will be with you. I'm going to build a great family with you, and I will protect you, okay? It's grace. God meets you where you are, but he wants to take you where sometimes you don't want to go, okay? Jacob has a new courage in this passage. If you read them, if you read the chapters one after the other, a new courage, a new energy. Listen, he has a new love, right? He fell in love. When you're in love, someone said, the whole world seems brighter, doesn't it? When you're in love, the whole world seems brighter. And you see that for Jacob. But keep in mind, it's a very um, amazing storyteller here, writer, the writer of Genesis the same God who brought Jacob to Rachel, right? You can, you can almost hear the, the emotion in his heart, in his words. The same God that brought Jacob to Rachel. I love her. I want to marry her. I'll give you everything I got. Is the same God who brought him to Laban, Rachel's father, who said these words that had to, had to be a full stop for Jacob, right? As he listens, why have you done this to me? Can you imagine? It's hard for us to imagine this. There's a lot of, you know, you have to let your imagination work with you. How did this happen? It's late at night. It's dark out. You know, maybe a little too much wine, whatever the case may be. Maybe in this culture, you know, uh, you know even, even the women are sort of, you know, veiled on their wedding night. Who knows? But somehow this whole thing goes on and it's not till the morning that Jacob recognizes that he has been deceived. Okay, this isn't, you know, someone, you know, for, paid you a little bit less than they thought. They, they sold you a car that had a bad, you know, motor in it. This is, a, this is a guy who thought this was the woman he was, you know, was the answer to all of his unmet needs. This woman that was the, the, the answer to his greatest desires. And he wakes up and it's not her. Why have you deceived me? And then Laban says these words. Okay, it is not our custom to give the younger before the older, okay? Those are words that meant something to Jacob. And I'm sure as those words came out of Laban's mouth, it is not our custom to give the younger than the older. A bomb went off in Jacob's heart. And everything that he thought he had left behind, everything that he thought was behind him and in a box somewhere, the deception of his brother, the deception of his father came rushing back to 
him like a flood. God meets you where you are to take you where you don't want to go. His whole life had been a struggle against the way the world was organized. Okay? The young, as I said this to you guys before, the, the, well, it's called the law of primogeniture. You want to sound um, smart and look that up, right? The law of the firstborn. But this was not just one law among many. It was the way the whole community was organized. We might think of it in different ways today, class, race, you know, um, hierarchies of different kinds. It depends on where you live. But it was the way the whole community was organized. In this law, Jacob was constantly at war with the way of the world his entire life. What blocked his inheritance, a couple chapters earlier, now blocks his love. Yet, this deception, this arrangement, here's the point for us, This was designed by God, right? The same God who led him to Rachel is the same God who led him to Laban. Why? Why would God do this? To make a point for him, for you, for me. That all self-securing ways of trying to get God's blessings, that's what this was. This is what Jacob did when he tried to bargain away the birthright. This is what Jacob did when he dressed up like his brother to try to get the blessing that, this, that he was about to give to Esau. All self-securing ways of trying to get the blessings of God are not only unacceptable to God, they're repugnant to God. Okay, They're repugnant to God. God had given those things to Jacob. His mother knew that. He knew that. The younger shall serve the older before he was ever born. But then you've got to wait for those things to be realized and not go after and try to get them. Right? God will meet you where you are. God meets me where I am. Right? That's grace. Right? He kisses us awake, one writer said. He meets us where we are, but then to take us, if you want to grow, often to places that we don't want to go, to face things about ourselves that are actually holding us back. You know, as pastor, as a pastor, I get letters all the time, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, that say this, something like this. Pastor, I mean, I, I probably got one of these in the last two weeks. Pastor, do you allow X people in your church? That's what I want to know, right, through the, through the you know, the, the, the open in, uh, email line. Do you allow X people in the church? Do you allow divorced people in your church? Do you allow gay people in your church? Do you allow ex-cons in your church? Pastor, do you allow? Say the internet, it's a, email helps, anybody can just write it, right? Do you allow? It's funny, I never get my, you know, 16 years of pastor, I've never got, do you allow selfish people in your church you know do you allow greedy people in your church do you allow prejudiced people in your church somehow those never come in right but these letters come in all the time i get these all the time so do pastors i'm sure other pastors and the answer to that question for any church anyway that's a gospel believing gospel preaching church which we are and hopefully we will remain for a long time to come we believe in the gospel it's the centerpiece the answer to that question is absolutely yes of course, whatever you fill in that blank with. Do you allow X people in your... Absolutely yes. That's what the church is all about. That's what the church is for. It's the hope of the world. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Bring your hungry, bring your tired, bring your, you know. That's what the church is all about. Okay? 
God wants to meet you where you are. We just want to keep you there, right? We want to keep you there. He wants to grow you into the person that he wants you and me to be, right? Which the Bible says is Jesus. Only a mature faith is going to realize these blessings. See, the blessings come on the front end. Before he was ever born, the younger shall serve the older. Ephesians chapter 1 says, listen, you know, you know before you, the, the day you became a Christian, all blessings in Jesus Christ became yours. God opened up a dump truck and just gave it all to you. You get it all on the front end. But you only fully realize these blessings as you mature in your faith. A mature faith must face the things in ourselves that are holding us back. Your fear, your selfishness, your control, your lust, your hunger for attention. This is a very hard lesson for Jacob, right? In the morning, it was Leah. But God used it not only to confront him. Think about your own life. He doesn't just confront Jacob with this, okay? It's not our custom to give the younger before the older. He doesn't just confront Jacob here. He also blesses Jacob here. This is the irony, right? He blesses. These two women, he ends up marrying both of them, Rachel and Leah. You'd have to read the next chapter. We're not doing it this morning. But these two women end up having 12 children, which are the 12 tribes of Israel. And by the time Jacob, almost 20 years later, comes back to meet his brother, back into the promised land, he has fulfilled the, God, the promise, or most of it, that God had intended to do. He's now a troop. He's now a family. He now has a whole bunch of people that are the very promise that God, had, that God had given to him, first to Abraham, then to Isaac, then to him. It was the means of his, God used this to confront him, but also to bless him. God, what's the point? God doesn't think the way that you think. God doesn't do things the way that you do things. And if God has to work in your life only the way you want him to work, if he has to work your way, my way, then likely things will remain at your current level of low expectations, right? You gotta let God be God. God will meet you where you are. That's grace. But he wants to take you often where you don't wanna go. But if you learn to trust him, this is the big idea here, right? Faith is a journey. Faith is a muscle. Faith is... Is, is a learning, it's a lifelong learning. It's not a transaction. But if you learn what to trust him, and God, God is, God's not in a hurry. Jacob spent 20 years outside the promised land learning this one lesson. If you learn to trust him, allow God to do what he wants to do. You allow God to take you where he wants to take you. Well, then maybe he'll bless you in ways you never imagined. Okay? God will meet you where you are to take you where you don't want to go. Second thing this passage tells us, your greatest deception, my greatest deception, is often the one you pull on yourself. Okay, listen carefully. Your greatest deception is the one you pull on yourself. This is a story, this part of the story, Genesis chapter 29. It's a story about deceiving and being deceived. At least that's part of it, it's not the whole thing. About deceiving and being deceived, and it's the passage where Jacob falls head over heels for Rachel, okay? 
Now we know, if you read the Jacob story as we have, that Jacob was unloved by his father. Okay, Genesis 27, Esau, excuse me, Isaac. The, the writer tells us this for a purpose, right? The Bible's written, be careful, it's telling you a story and you're supposed to see yourself. Isaac loved Esau, right? Jacob was the unloved one. And Jacob is desperate for approval. And in landing Rachel, I think the narrator wants us to know, he believed he'd overcome a sense of failure that he carried with him most of his life. Look at how the writer writes this. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in figure and beautiful. What does that mean? Those things don't seem to be, you know, they don't seem to be two sides of a, of, of a dialectic or two sides of a, of, they don't seem to be a contrast, right? Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in figure, right? Figure, nice body is what he's really saying. That's kind of an odd thing. And she was beautiful. Writers think that he's talking about her body, her figure, and her face. Well, what does the weak eyes thing mean? All kinds of writing's been done on this. My sense is, it's a way of saying she wasn't very much to look at. Making a very strong contrast. She was not, she was the ugly duckling. She had weak eyes. But Rachel was beautiful and lovely in figure. This captured Jacob's imagination. Verse 18, Jacob was in love with her. Wow. How long had he known her? Not very long, you know, a little longer than this service. Not very long. Jacob was in love with her. And you have to do a little homework to figure this out, but it's not that tough. I'll work for you seven years in return for your youngest daughter. Why wouldn't you ask first? Matthew, wouldn't you say, wouldn't you, wouldn't you ask? Say, maybe, five, maybe you only have to work one year. Why offer seven? Right? Well, as it turns out, there is a, Jacob, remember, he has nothing. He's the younger son. He's been fighting this his whole life. The younger son doesn't have any money. He's in trouble because he, he, he broke his relationship with his mother and father uh, and his brother anyway. So he gets here. He's got nothing but the clothes on his back. Nothing to deal with. But even in this culture, if you do the math, if he was going to actually work for a woman, the way this worked out, the dowry, so to speak, it would have, about a year and a half would have been appropriate. Okay? Why offer seven years when you don't need... And, and Laban doesn't even say yes. Talk about a setup. That's better I give her to her than to you. Okay? It's not really even a yes. Okay. Jacob was tricked, huh? but it was more than tricked. Right? When he woke up, you could say in the morning it was Leah, right? His whole life was shattered. He wasn't just tricked, he was tricked, but you see, he gets her back. I think it's more than just that he was tricked, because he ends up getting Rachel anyway, right? The very next verse. But I think it's more than being tricked, because in this moment, your greatest deception is the one you pull on yourself. He experiences a kind of disappointment. I think this is how you're supposed to read it. That's at the heart of the human experience. One, one writer said this, great writer on Genesis, Derek Kidner. Listen to these words about the, the 25th verse. The words, in the morning it was Leah, are the very embodiment 
of anticlimax. And this moment, a miniature of man's disillusionment experienced from Eden onwards. Your greatest deception is the one you pull on yourself thinking that something other than God can fill the deepest needs of your heart. Something other than God can meet, satisfy the deepest longings of your life. He played big, Jacob. He lost big because the one true thing that you truly want, the one true thing that I truly want is not her, ladies. It's not him. It's not it, okay? I've had people say this to me all the time, you know, and you've heard this. If only I was married, I'd feel... I'd finally feel good about myself. If only I had, if only we had children, or when we have children, we'll feel good about ourselves. If only and when we have grandchildren, we'll feel good about ourselves. If only and when I have career success, I'll feel good about myself. But what you're looking for, so this passage I think is telling us, what I'm looking for cannot be found at the end of the rainbow or at the top of whatever ladder you're climbing. It can only be found in the arms of God. Okay? The gospel according to Jacob. God will meet you where you are, meet me where I am, not just once in life, throughout the course of your life, to take you sometimes where you don't want to go. The question is, are you willing to go there? That's what it means to follow. We call it what we call it following Jesus, right? No, God, it's, God, but it's not, you, you, don't, you don't make a deal with God and go, well, this is where I want to go. If we're going to go around this corner and, around, and over the hill, then I'm with you. See? God, I, I want to know what the outcome's going to be. I want to know how this is going to work out. Then I'll go with you. Well, if that's what you want to do, if that's what I want to do, stay married to your very low expectations in life. God's not going to put a rope around your neck, but he's not going to accomplish great things in your life either. It's all about faith. It's about trust. It's about realizing that God knows far more about you and about the world than you could ever know. And the only way you're going to go forward is allow God to meet you where you are. No judgment zone. That's the beauty and grace of God. None of us would be get anywhere without that. No judgments on Jesus, but then he's going to take you somewhere. Not to punish you, but to help you face things that are holding you back. Okay? But your greatest deception, my greatest deception, is the one we often pull on ourselves, okay? What you're looking for is not going to be found at the end of the rainbow, okay? It only can be found in the arms of God. Watch how this ends. The person you've been searching for all your life is God. Watch how this ends. Verse 31, the message here for us. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, okay? He enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless, okay? Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Watch the promise unfold. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has been seen my misery. Now watch this. Surely my husband will love me now. 
She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a, a second son, she said, Because the Lord has heard me I am not, that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, third child. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. See? Leah's kind of the counterpart of her husband, right? The deception, your greatest deception is the one you pull on yourself. She conceived again, now watch the change, verse 35. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. This is what the name Judah means. So she named him Judah, then she stopped having children. And to Genesis 29, Leah takes center stage, and it's in Leah, I would suggest to you, that we most learn, we most see demonstrated the gospel according to Jacob, right? It's in Leah. The first three names, right? Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. They're all told, reflective, the names. They're all reflective of the struggle that she has to want to get her husband's love. He doesn't love me. He doesn't love me. He doesn't love me. Only in the fourth name does she not even mention her husband. In other words, she finally understood the person she'd been searching for her whole life. In other words, there's nothing wrong with marriage and children. These, this is, these are God's gifts, right? But they're not going to meet. Even the greatest husband, the greatest wife, the greatest child, the greatest grandchild, the greatest career will never meet the deepest needs of your heart, right? That's a deception. But finally, she conceived again and she said, this time, right, this time I will praise the Lord. Let me say something about Leah also. Twelve sons are had in the next chapter. Religiously and politically, okay, think Judah or excuse me, Levi and Judah, the leadership of Israel belonged to the sons of Leah, not Rachel. There's a message there, right? Jesus came not from the tribe of priests. Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah. David was the son of Judah, right? When the Lord noticed that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, right? And the important sons, the most important ones, were the sons of Leah, the gospel according to Jacob. So we're going to take communion together, front guys, here in this service, maybe at home as well. But I want to just give you a minute, okay? Just take a minute. Don't, don't rush. We're going to take communion. We've still got a few more minutes left in our service and I want us to pray, or, or, or I want you to pray. Do some, do some work in your seat here for, for a minute, okay? Not long, but plenty of time, a minute or so. And I want to put out a couple questions for you to think about as we prepare to take uh, this table to remind us of the gospel, right? Right? What is the gospel? When the Lord saw that Rob was not loved, right? When the Lord saw that Eric was not loved, when the Lord saw when Matthew was not loved, when the Lord saw that Dave was not loved, when the Lord saw when Matt was not loved, 
he enabled her to conceive. Okay? So here's the question, two questions. Where do you need to experience God's love in your life today? Okay? Where do you need it? The gospel's not a simple transaction. You don't do it once in a lifetime, right? There are areas in your life, I don't know where it is, you do. Where in your life do you feel unloved? Where in your life do you need a fresh experience of God's love, of his grace, right? It's a, it's a journey. Son one, son two, son three, finally this time I will praise the Lord, right? Where do you need an experience of God's love in your life today. Second question is, are you willing to let God take you where you don't want to go? Okay? Only you know what that question might mean, but are you willing to let God take you where you have been reluctant to want to go? Somewhere in your life, some kind of surrender. So just take a minute of prayer right where you are and do some business with God and we'll come right back in a minute and share this table together.